Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Becker-Holstein, and we are hoping you've come aboard for another old-time radio show. I have Debbie Higgins with me. She is my accompanist in this strange pandemic world where we are trying to stay cheered up and help you stay cheered up with great stories, all the news that's fit to print out of our own histories. So, oh, Debbie, I see a little skeleton face looking right at me. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, oh, well, you know, I have Halloween stuff all over here. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm shamelessly touting my film festival in the back. Yes. Only because I have the set set up for our Zoom meeting. Well, that's good. Yeah. It's a great well. festival. Yeah, I have, I have stuff back here. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrific. And uh, I can accept that there is a very unusual uh, skeleton watching me. It's not going to inhibit me at all. Right and right um, see him looking around the sign? You can yeah, see I do. Right there. He's a butler. He's a oh, he's a butler. butler. And he talks. He says 20 things. He's wonderful. Oh, that's great. I love that. The kids, they, they get scared of it. And that's why. Oh, sure. Of course. Candy, you know? So here we are a few months into the pandemic. And um, we are going to tell you some pretty cool stories and stuff. And um, let's see where we're going to start. Maybe something uh, fun that um happened to my mother i always like to i just love to bring up a story that ties into my mother because she was so loving and so funny and of course i miss her every day and debbie i'm sure you have some well you're right in the middle of similar feelings having lost your mom a few months ago so this is a very short little story my mother was going to the movies with her two older brothers. She was about six. She was the baby in the family. And there was a nine-year-old brother and a 12-year-old brother. And you know, in those days, for five or 10 cents, you saw two double features, you saw cartoons, you saw the newsreel. It was a real day out. So my mom is so excited. She's sitting next to her brothers. And all of a sudden, something falls on her head. She got very, very scared. She thought she had been shot. But then she quickly realized that she had not been shot, shot. And now in her lap, she was holding a 50 cent piece. Now, I hardly ever see 50 cent pieces anymore. But they were prized possessions and through several generations. They were beautiful at times. Uh, and they were worth a lot. So she had this 50 cent piece and she's holding it and the movie is going on and, you know, they're eating their popcorn, they're eating their candy. And all she can think about is what am I going to do with this 50 cent piece? So when the movie and movies ended, she said to her two brothers, um, I, I have this 50 cent piece that fell on me. And they say, great, great, great. She says, well, I need to find out who lost it. I'm going to call out, did anyone lose a 50 cent piece? <laughs> and 
her brother said, no, stop, stop, <laughs> stop. Everyone will say they lost, they lost a 50 cent piece. And then you won't have a 50 cent piece. So I don't know whether she thought it completely made sense, but she was only six and they were much older. So they all left and went to the penny, penny candy store and came home uh, with a lot of treats. And that's the story. It's just a cute story. Just to segue, I'm thinking of something. I went to private school, all girls school, and not a 50 cent piece, but if we had perfect attendance for the year, we got a silver dollar. And that, all the girls vied for it. They did. Everybody, we'd drag ourselves in there when we didn't feel well because <laughs> we wanted to get that dollar, that silver dollar. That's how much things meant to people a long time ago. And now, you know, you know, right. kids don't right. feel it. You get a tooth fairy comes and the kid gets a dollar and he's like, what a cheap tooth fairy, you know? <laughs> so, um, I know. Can I segue into my movie story? Then? Please. Yes. Uh, well, my childhood trauma, and it was trauma, and now I look at this movie and I laugh, but my sister is 15 years older than I am. And when she was young and she was dating, uh, she uh, had to babysit for me and she never wanted to babysit for me. And she got stuck with me. And back in the day, they didn't have a rating system. They either had X rated, which were, you know, really bad movies, or they had just general movies. So she took me and I was about six years old, probably. I have to look up the date of the film to see Straight Jacket starring Joan Crawford. And wow. Joan Crawford is a mental patient. She gets out and the whole premise is her daughter's trying to drive her crazy, but she thinks she's crazy. And she chopped the heads off her lover, her husband and his lover. And so there's a scene where she pulls the covers back and there's two heads with no body on the pillow chopped up. And I was so afraid that I was crying and I was saying, oh, I can't watch this, sis, you know, be I'm going to say her name. I said, sis, please, you know, I can't. I, and she goes, oh, for God's sakes, just go stick your head in the toilet. <laughs> so I went out to the girls' room, and back then, you had to pay a quarter to get into a, a stall. So I didn't have a quarter. So I crawled under the door. Wow. And I went up, and I put my head in the toilet, because she told me, and I did everything my sister told me, and my hair was straight up. And I pulled back out and I went back and sat down and they, they were kissing and making out. They didn't care. I could have been dead. And she said, holy cow, what happened to you? And I said, you told me to stick my hand in the toilet. So that's the kind of a kid I was. I did everything. Oh, that is. Or not, and it is the God's honest truth. Crossed my heart, you know. And you lived to talk about it. Right. You didn't get. And now I walk straight back in and I laugh. Because it's a stupid, crazy movie, and Joan Crawford uh -huh. is supposed to be forty, and she's like sixty. You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. So, let's hear well, about. Do you have any childhood trauma stories, Barbara? Any childhood what, trauma things you were going to say? Yeah, well, um, I have some hilarious stories that go more toward the uh, college or just getting out of college. But one trauma I do remember is that there was a boy who was very mean. And in those days, when you got to school, you went on the playground and 
you know, you just kind of hung out till they rang the right bells that you lined up. And um, I did nothing to provoke him, but he came over and he pushed me down so that my head hit the cement. Oh my and God. Um, I, I think that was the first of several minor concussions I got over the years. And my mother uh, was very upset, which she should have been. And she actually called this boy's mother and they were one of the rich families in town. And, um, you know, I don't even remember if he called and he apologized. I was in the fourth or fifth grade, but it was very, very traumatic. Oh and God. yeah. And to top off this particular story, um, well, have I, I not, yeah, I had another trauma and I don't think I told it on this show when I was much smaller, when I was four, I'd say. And that's when my mother and I got off the trolley in New Haven where we lived. There was our apartment house and a whole group of kids. You know how they had gangs in the old days? Oh, yeah. I don't mean bad gangs, just kids all in the neighborhood flooded together. And, right. you know, it was nice. Everyone stayed out most of the time and everything. Well, all these kids were laughing and touching a dog. Oh, I'm not, he wasn't wild, but he was not on a leash and no one was claiming him. And my mother said to me, don't touch the dog. All these kids have touched him and he could be, you know, he could be very, whatever happens to dogs when they're annoyed. Right. Well, I was such a brilliant child that I moved right in past the kids and touched the dog. <laughs> and he immediately put his teeth into this hand. Oh, I can still feel like it was happening now. Yikes. So, so uh, fortunately, he let go, but the wound was done. And my mother said, all right, that was, you know, okay, turn around. We're not going in the house. We're waiting for the next trolley, and you're going to the doctor. And she was very smart. We went to the doctor, and, of course, he had to give me a shot. Now, they didn't look for rabies in those days but there was some sort of penicillin shot or something that he gave me. And um, I was scared to death. You know, it was very oh, unpleasant. I bet. Oh, well, you have the, you've got that great story with the drag being dragged oh, by the horse. horse. Oh yeah. Well, this was, these are all my sister's stories. <laughs> she loves them. I wouldn't, you know, be in trouble telling them. Another babysitting story. My sister um, owned a hack stable. Uh, it used to call, be called Windy Hill. And we also had a farm on West Park Avenue and Wayside. And since we bought horses at the auction all the time, we would bring them home and see what kind of horse they were to ride them to see who we would sell them to. So it was experienced rider or a plug for somebody who didn't want to. So there were always horses left in the barn. So she always rode and my parents would drop me off Saturday and Sunday at the farm. I'd spend the whole time there. And I was really little and they wanted to go riding and they couldn't leave me home. And I had this white hat with all these sparkles and tassels on it. And my grandmother gave it to me. It was, I loved it. It was so pretty. It was wool tied around here. So they found whatever plug was left in the barn. It could have been a crazy horse, whatever. And they put a Western saddle on and my sister took a rope and tied it around my waist 
tied it around the horn of the saddle and then tied it under the belly of the horse so that I would, you know, I would go in the woods with her and I, I, I wouldn't duck for a tree and I'd get hit in the head or whatever. But this time horses do this thing where when you cinch their girth, they blow up because they don't want a tight girth and they blow and you kind of have to kind of knee them a little bit to get their gut down. Well, they didn't do that. And so that we were riding and we were going by a muddy field and I was in the back on whatever horse they had. And I had fallen because the synth, the girth was so loose, the saddle turned and went underneath the horse. And I could, I remember seeing the, looking between the horse's front legs as it was walking. And my hat was in the mud dragging. And, and then they finally realized it because I was going, sis, sis, sis. And she didn't pay attention to me. And finally, they realized it, that I was upside down riding for probably a solid minute. And they got me off the horse and fixed it. And they had to explain to my grandmother why my hat was completely brown and covered (laughs) with mud that she had just bought. And so they went back and they were washing it. And, you know, wool, when you wash it, it shrinks Mm -hmm, and it's crazy. mm -hmm. And it was all crazy. And the sparkles lost their luster. And I, I, uh, my, my sister got in trouble. So that's I bet she did. Down horse oh, that was horrible. Yeah. Well, I could tell a little, <laughs> I'm thinking of a little psychology story that will reassure people that somebody can be uh, almost bad and turn out very good. And that's myself. Okay. So I used to stay overnight all the time with another family, my cousins. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it and I didn't enjoy it. I felt my parents were pushing me off because that was their night out. And they didn't, this way they didn't pay for a babysitter. I got it. I understood. I wasn't crazy about it. But anyway, um, I, I loved my two female, the girls, the girls. And there was one guy, a boy. Um, he scared me a little bit. I'll get to that. But, um, I love the girls, and one of them I really admired. So, you know, it was like I was another kid, so nobody watched me. My my aunt would leave the house because she left the house with her own kids. Nobody was disciplining or watching me. So I guess my cousin was out somewhere, and I went into her room, and what did I do? I started to explore her jewelry box and her closet and everything, you know. Yeah. What do you do at eight when you're alone? Or No, I think I was six alone. And um, I touched things. I mean, you know, I just did my stuff. And then I saw there was an identification bracelet. Now those were popular. I don't know. Okay. And I bracelets. Yeah, I already I already wanted one at six. You know, I did. But I knew that the older girls got them. Right. And so I'm touching it and I'm touching it. And then I thought, I'm going to take it. I love it. So so I put put this bracelet on my hand and I'm just about ready to walk out of my cousin's bedroom. And then I think, but I can't wear it. It has my cousin's name on it. You know, how can I take it? Mm -hmm. Even if I can't wear it, it's an impossible situation. 
So I put it back and I was never discovered. And that was probably the last attempt at thievery I ever made. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's excellent. Uh, and that's, didn't go into shoplifting or anything. So that's no, no. And um well, no, I am not co quite correct. And then we'll go on to another, another subject. When we lived in Bridgeport, the land was owned by the University of Bridgeport where my father was a dean. We got free housing and a three-family house. Some of the other houses had classes in them, some of them other professors. And this particular house was empty. I don't know why it was empty whether a family left or they had had offices and now they moved. Right. But the gang on the street, there were about six of us. One day we decided to break into the house. Now we didn't break a window or anything. I guess we found like a screen door open or something. Right. And we go in and we look in a closet and there's this box of like I, I paper, but it wasn't paper. It was beautifully colored like heavy cellophane, beautiful, different shades. And I think it was really some sort of stuff before there uh, were all, all the machines to copy, way, way back. And that probably the colors came because of, they had sat exposed. Oh. You know, they probably all, yeah. it was almost like photography paper of some sort. Right. And so we divided it up. And each of us went home with a pile of these sheets. No, I don't think any of us ever figured out what to do with them. What I did was I hid them in the back of my walk-in closet. And I lived with guilt hanging over me for at least two years with these papers. <laughs> yeah, you know? Right. So that's the story. <laughs> that was the story. Well, okay. So so should we um I have my one about my yeah, cat go about go I have I have this here's another my last sister story of the night I have this terrible everybody's afraid of something spiders rats uh heights you know things like that and I have this terrible hatred and repulsion to worms I can't stand worms and I don't even want to say that on the air because people that are listening <laughs> you better not ever throw a worm at me I'll be mad but one time when I was little um you know I was riding and had horses and all that stuff and we were always playing tricks on each other and back in the day you don't see it like you do anymore Barbara but back in the 60s there were tent caterpillars everywhere all over the trees. You used yes, to big yes. and you'd go up and you'd look at them and it was all caterpillars, all squirming and terrible and everything. And that, you know, and my sister, when I wasn't looking, she put the whole stick of the caterpillars in my riding boots and I didn't know. And I put my feet in my boots and it felt all weird and crazy. I didn't know what it was because your mind doesn't connect with the reality of what that might be. Yeah. I took my foot out and it was all writhing with like these little like maggoty worms. And I went, ah, and I threw my, I took my boots and they were leather, beautiful riding boots. And I took the hose and I put them in my riding boots, which <laughs> them, you know, but um, that was my, ever since then, they worms scare me. 
So that's my I can work. understand that. That's my yeah. story. I had to get yeah. So now and my, ba my, my bad boy cousin had told me that the spaghetti I was eating at my aunt's house was were worms. Oh my god. Yes. And he really spoiled it for me for years and years. But should we go on to either my night that I thought I was going to be electrocuted or should yeah, we go on to the garbage in the furnace? Well, I think both stories are good. So um, why don't you do, why don't you put garbage in the furnace story? I love that one. Okay. Well, one summer after I graduated college and got my master's, uh, I needed a place to live. And I had a girlfriend uh, who was available. We looked for a little place. It was only like three rooms, a garden apartment. Um, and we took it. And we had all these rules we made. Who was going to vacuum? Who was going to clean the sink? Who was going to clean the bathroom? And who was going to take out the garbage? Okay. And basically, I got the bathroom and the garbage. Okay, fine. So, no, I'm sorry. I didn't get the garbage. I got the, the bathroom and cleaning up the living room within reason. We were not heavy cleaners, but we kept it nice. So one day, a month into the two-month rental, my girlfriend, looks, looking very sad and, and upset, she said, Barbara, I don't know what's going on. They never seem to empty the garbage. And now I don't know where to put it. I filled up the space that says number one that I think is our garbage tank. And I said, well, I don't know. Let's go down. Show me where it is. I didn't even know where she was putting it. So she starts down the stairs to the basement, which even that surprised me because I thought there was probably something around the building and since it wasn't my chore I had not bothered to even right. learn about it uh -huh. so we go down the basement and there are four furnaces lined up furnace one furnace two furnace three and furnace four and she says look and she opens a door on furnace one and it's filled with garbage filled <laughs> And I said, okay, you know, I see it. What are, why are you putting garbage in the furnace? And she said, well, I thought that that's what you do. Um, we have gas heat. And I don't know, she had some explanation that didn't make any sense to me. So she thought this was where it goes. So I said, no, there has to be something else. You know, uh, I think I've seen things where they step on something outside. Right. And that's probably where it goes. And so we walked out and walked around the building. And sure enough, there were these things that you step on. And so I said, well, I guess we're going to have to empty all the garbage. Because if they find out we put garbage in the furnace, I don't know. They might even have to have someone clean it. And I mean, it's just not, you know. So we spent the next 30, 45 minutes going back and forth with garbage and stuffing it in these depositories outside. And we had more than even for our one, the one that belonged to our build, uh, our apartment. So we managed to 
cheat and put some of the garbage in the other people's step down. I don't know what they were really called. So I'll what call them. To the janitor in the building, and how come it didn't just blow up or something? You know, with all. Uh, well, it was summertime, so the furnace was never put on. Oh. Okay. So it probably was just, um, just you know, one of those things that happens when nobody checks on anything. Right. Exactly. So it. It ended up one of the, uh, you know, really, really funny stories of uh, being on my own for the first time, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so that was it. I, I can't really think of anything that I did like that. Um, I don't know. I have nothing. I, you know, I was kind of... Uh, I don't know. Right. I have any crazy stuff like that. Well, I will tell one more that will reassure people that you can be very anxious and still be a successful professional. This is also a personal story. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. This is the story that happened in Hope, New Jersey when I was dating a fellow who lived, from Hope, lived in Hope, New Jersey. Now, the reason I even went there in this bitter cold weekend was it was New Year's weekend and you can't ever be alone on New Year's. That's the way I grew up. It, you'd have a date with someone you picked off the street if you had to. It was humiliating to not have something to do on New Year's. So he invited me to his family home. He was a nice young man. And so I accepted. It was now, now I had plans. So we go, you know, I go to this place in Hope, New Jersey, and his parents um, had their bedroom, I was to share a bathroom with them, and then I had the spare bedroom, and that was fine. So it was very, very, very cold, and they gave me an electric blanket. So I get into, I get into bed, and um, I'm lying in bed, and I'm thinking, I don't know if I could be shocked. I don't know if I could be electrocuted. I don't know what could happen. What if I die in this bed? I never see my parents again. I never find the right husband. You know, everything is lost because I needed a date and I'm lying in this dark room with an electric blanket over me that could kill me. You know, it really got worse and worse and worse. Right, you got anxiety, yeah. Yep. So finally, I decided the only thing I could do was to jump out of bed and turn on the light and pull the plug, pull it out of the plug. So I jump out of the bed, I put on the light, only to discover that I had never plugged it in. I can't even believe you felt <laughs> that it was warm. You even thought of that in your mind, that it was warm, right? Everything. I got all, everything right, except... The re reality shows you the power <laughs> of the mind. The power of the mind, right? That's yes. Funny. Did you have a nice New Year's Eve? Did he try to kiss you at the stroke of midnight? I think I was in bed there by ten or eleven. Glad to uh, <laughs> say good night. I don't think you know. God. I think that he was a fellow that I stopped seeing because I got up very certain, I got suddenly very certain that I was going to be a medical doctor and I'd have to study very hard. And then after he was out of my life for a week or two, I realized that I couldn't understand chemistry 
I wasn't that good in the sciences. And what was I, what was I doing? I was certainly never going to be a physician. So, yeah. you know, but we're crazy at those ages, you right. know, it's we're crazy now too. But we, you know, <laughs> so, I think yeah. we're crazy noticeably. We're functionally crazy right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very hard during the pandemic. It really is. So those were good I, stories. You 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 had a pretty uh varied existence there with all those stories and things. I guess, you know, we rack up a lot of experiences by this age, that's for sure. Yeah, we do. For a great time. The 60s and 70s were fantastic. I mean, for experience, you know, there was a lot more to do, a lot more. That's right. That's for sure. And people really dated and people, you know, wrote letters back and forth. There are a lot of things that have sort of died away. I used to use sealing wax. I used to, that's, I loved sealing wax. And I used to send a letter and I had all different colors of the wax and I used to seal it on the letter. Now it would go through the postal canceling machine. It would be torn to shreds. But back then, everything was done by hand. So that's right. Killing wax on a letter. Yeah. And I remember when there were no zip codes. Do you remember? Sure. That? Of you course. Zip codes. So that was. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So anyway, and, uh, what, do you, what do you feel like talking about now? Where are we going to go from this? I'm just seeing if I had anything else that I had listed. Um, I think we should talk a little bit about, it's fun, you know, um, maybe very first crushes. Okay. Or, you know, anything like for me, I remember at six, the boy across the street, it was probably one of the kids that came into the house with me, you know, to steal those papers. I was just standing there and he kissed the top of my head. And then it turned out if I walked to school with him, he liked to kiss the top of my head. <laughs> you know, and was he really tall? Did he put his face down? I mean, he must have been head? like a few inches taller. He might have been a year older. And you know, I know these things in those days, I don't remember ever even telling my mother. I certainly didn't see it. I didn't like it. I sort of got tired of it, but I never saw it as an incident. You know, no, where today I mean, it would be, everything was kind of nice. I look, I look yeah. at it all, I kind of still do as a compliment. You know, I yeah. think if you're horribly ugly and look like a frog, nobody's going to want to kick you out. <laughs> no, I mean, it's kind of nice. But uh, yeah, you, and maybe, yeah, you know. And it, when I was in school, when I was in grammar school, it was all nuns. And we were not allowed to wear dance skin tops because... They'd see the shape of our arm, which would make mm. us wildly excited. We didn't <gasps> even know why. Oh, yes. Patent, patent leather shoes. Because patent leather shoes, I mean, if they had those good eyeballs where they could look at the shoes and look up your skirt, but that's what the nuns said. And you, you, we couldn't even, you know, I mean, we never would have thought about any of this stuff. But the nuns in Catholic school talked about it like it was so bad that it got you wildly. That's why I guess they say Catholic girls are always wild. Who knows, you know? But I remember, <laughs> I remember that. But I went to all-girls school. I, I didn't have any crushes except on movie stars when I was um, up until I went to freshman year high school. I was in love with um, Sean Connery as James Bond. 
and the monkeys. <gasps> oh, well, he was so handsome. I love Davy Jones and the monkeys. He would, I would watch that show. I would lay on my stomach with my hands like this. And I just thought, oh, you never thought of anything really, you know, lascivious. You just mm -hmm. thought of them wanting you and kissing you and bringing you flowers and, you know, <laughs> looking lovingly in your eyes and then singing a song to you, you know, like Davy would. So how about you? How about your crushes? Well, I fell in love at nine when this boy walked in to the fourth grade room. And I really believe we must have known each other like in a past life. This was an astounding reaction for a nine-year-old, you know, because it persisted. Oh. It wasn't a momentary crush kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And there was something about the shape of his face. And I don't know what it was. He was bright. He was nice looking kid. But actually, um, the interesting thing is that he actually looks very much like many Sephardic men, and, and uh, as it turns out. So okay. may, maybe in another life, uh, I was a Sephardic princess of some sort, and who knows, you know, but and that did, was... And did you ever let him know, or when he came around? No, no. You, you know, that brings up a whole thing about the times when I grew up, uh, women, you couldn't ever say what was really on your mind, particularly to a, a young man, because they had to take the lead and they had to make the phone calls. And um, called a boy ever. No, ever. no, ever. no. No matter yeah. what had happened, you had to wait for the lead. Yeah. And I think that was very detrimental uh, to my development, that particular aspect, because I somehow got the message that my world would kind of collapse if I tried to take leadership in a relationship, you know, or even just say what was on my mind. Right. You yeah. know, and I think that was really too bad. But the funny story that comes out of all of this, and you will recognize the story because it's in one of the films we made. Okay. Is when I got rid of, um, well, we moved. So what could I do? And anyway, he, he, he was shorter than myself. Well, anyway, we, it was going nowhere. He didn't even know I, who, I mean, he knew his, he was in class with me and that's about right. it. We moved to a different town and seventh grade, I didn't have any crush, but eighth grade, I had a gigantic crush on Bob. I'll just say his first name. I won't want to embarrass him even all these years later. Bob, who became Rob from the film. Oh, and um, okay. I just was so in love. And my best friend, Jill, was in love with his best friend, Bruce. And we would stand there and wait till they came out of the school building, you know, all sorts of oh, things. And, but the, the most strange thing was that my mother and I would go for um, uh, to an Italian restaurant on Thursday nights because my father taught a course still at the University of Richport. Mm -hmm. So it was our night together. And I would spend most of that night discussing what Bob had worn, how he had looked walking down the hall in school, etc. And the waiter, who was a very gentlemanly, lovely man, like 50-ish, 
would sort of stand there. And then when we finally, he made eye contact with my mother, he'd take the order. And that went on for months. And then the spring dance came up. And I guess at that point we were saying hello. And maybe someone on the school bus had said to me, oh, he's got a crush on you. Maybe something. Not much. Nothing. But something. And lo and behold, he invited me to the school dance. And um, when he, of course, he didn't drive. He was 14. I was 13. When his father and he came to get me to take me to the dance, I get in the back seat and I see that his father is the waiter. Here you go. In, in the restaurant. Right, yeah. And I was absolutely ashamed and frightened and upset because I didn't know what he had transmitted to his son. I didn't know whether the date was really just an obligation because his father said, look, this gal really has a crush. You've got to take her oh to the dance. God. Yeah, you, you know, Did he was, no, he was very nice to me. He was very polite. Um, I saw him, I think at one other party where we were playing spin the bottle and I got to like, you know, I mean, that was big too. Oh yeah. I, I got to kiss him once, you know, when it was my turn kind of thing or his turn, but we never dated. That's different in the book um, and in the films, The Truth um, and Secrets, the two books. I, I, there was a little more of a relationship. Mm -hmm. But I once had a woman write to me and her daughter had read um, The Truth because that's the book where this episode is. And she said, I, I love the book. I read it along with my daughter. But how could you make up such a crazy story about the waiter and the boy? That you really made that up, right? So, but yeah. no, I didn't make it up. Okay. Well, I have a I have a high school story. Want to hear mine? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I went to a I went to Red Bank Catholic, and I had come from an all girls private school. <laughs> Pardon me, audience. I and could give you I, a hard candy, but I can't get it. Yeah, I also have something of Vaseline here. I don't oh, want to spread oh. that in my mouth. Anyway, um. So I got to Reven Catholic, and everybody had gone to St. Uh, St. James. They all knew each other. Everybody knew each other. And I felt like a fish out of water. There were boys. There was everything. I didn't even know how to open a locker. I couldn't find my classes. I was all crazy. So finally, I, I got around a little bit, and I had this boy who was in the next locker had shown me and, and all this stuff. And he was very nice. His, I can say his name. His name was Bill Scott. He lives in the Philippines now. And um, one day, because I think he felt sorry for me, when I opened my locker, there was a bottle of Love's Lemon, which was one of the biggest perfumes back then. And it, and it was wonderful. It smelled like fresh lemons. So if people don't know, there was a Sadie Hawkins dance and a Sadie Hawkins dance is a dance where you ask a boy if they want to go out with you or go to the dance. And because he was so nice and he was in my homeroom and he was all this, I asked him to go and he said, no. And I was mortified. And then I went to the dance with my girlfriends and we stood on the side. Plus I had a crush on my homeroom teacher who was 21 and you know, <gasps> 
he had a yellow Corvette. His name was Mr. O'Brien. I was crazy for him. And he felt sorry for me and asked me to dance. Like he did to cherish. Remember cherish? Cherish is the word I use to describe. <laughs> and I was melting. And after I was so like melting that after I went out and laid on the floor in the hallway, I was like my heart. And then later on, Gil Scott, who said no to the Sadie Hawkins dance, asked me out. And his brother had told him, never burn a bridge that you might walk over again. <laughs> and Gil and I ended up being together for four years. Wow. Getting engaged. And um, I ended up breaking up with him when I was in freshman year college. I broke up with him. But four years. And that was my a long time. Friend. And I had the same boyfriend for four years. So I was very lucky to get indentured into the dating world and have a wonderful guy and wonderful his parents. And he was wonderful. So I, it was very nice. I never had any traumatic dating stories except mm -hmm. for that Sadie Hawkins dance. Yeah. I'm yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Terrible. So that's my high school story. Well, yeah. that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I think that, uh, we should tell everyone a little bit about what we're doing during the pandemic uh, because um, I think that might interest people because I, the truth is that we have suffered just along with everybody else. There's nobody that's going through this without some anxiety, some uh, sense of what's happening and how it will, you know, how it will yeah. Yeah. continue and, God forbid, you know, serious illness, et cetera. And so we have been talking all year about how we were going to bring the girl who's in my books and these films I've made, these selfie films, into the latest film. And we were going to do it this summer. And uh, we actually had decided to put her a little ahead in her life. Uh, she's now married and... Um, her marriage was in trouble because uh, it seemed to work out better for the people we wanted to have as the actors and actresses. Um, we just had the right group to go ahead with her. And that was important to me because even though a lot of my films have focused on this girl as a young girl, right. I always have wanted to make clear, uh, I wanted to follow someone way past just being a teenager and have that that woman recognize her girl inside of her and always be able to get back to the strength that she had in childhood. That's been really important to me as a psychologist because I think we diminish ourselves almost mm -hmm. every day. And yeah. even and in the pandemic, it's so easy to diminish yourself. I ate too much. I didn't exercise. I didn't clean the closet, I promised to do. You know, I could hardly make uh, breakfast. I watched TV for two yeah. long. Yeah. Watch show, you know? You yeah. know, and it's hard to stay with enough courage and, and, and um, just devotion to ourselves that this is very, very strange because it's sort of with, it's diffused and there's no clear thing you're going through, right. you know? So um, anyway, we couldn't make the film because we couldn't have people stand next to each other. And 
you know, when and even things people are talking about today, like taking a group into quarantine. I mean, with practically no money and the actors aren't paid, we're not going to do anything like that. It just wouldn't right. work. So we came up with the idea of turning this um, film into a radio drama and to make it uh, make the story, refine it here and there where we you're just listening, put in some sound effects. And um, we've we've had great success in our rehearsals. We have a great cast and um, Frank Nuzzi really helped me. He took over refining the script so it, it works. Yes. Um, and we have we have amazing actors. Really? Um, do you want to mention some of the actors, Debbie? Well, Carol um, is, uh, plays Frank's wife. Frank plays the husband. Um, actually, who is an actor lawyer is Michael Demedio, who's our lawyer, film lawyer, and he does the dad, and he's fantastic. Yeah. And then we have Chris Brown as the mom, and Megan Brown, who has been the girl all through the thread of all the films. She comes back as a, uh, can I give it away? She comes yeah. back as like a specter and a ghost to influence yeah. the situation that's going on. And then I forget, um, what's your, the other girl that came Oh, uh, Don Gallardo. Oh, Don Gallardo. She's excellent. And, uh, of course, we have Ming doing yeah. effects, and he's our tech guy. He's phenomenal. And i got to give a plug for Shared Universe because Ming Absolutely. is just a master at everything he does. And uh, so we're all together on this. We're kind of doing it in a semi-quasi costume. And although it's like a play reading, it's also acting and emoting too. So it doesn't feel like we're just reading. The only one right. who's just reading is me because I'm the narrator. But yep. other than that, and Barbara's directing it. So it's it's a compelling piece. Um, and it's um, it really seems to resonate. Our actors have done a lot of different work and, and they were really moved by it. So. I think it's going to be a nice departure. And if people are used to our radio show, we're doing it a little late tonight, of course, but um, we're, we're going to be doing it at 7.30 next Monday. Oh, well, I think 8 o'clock will really go on because we're yeah. using that half an hour just right. to adjust yeah. everything. Yeah. Right. 8, 8 o'clock, we're going to go on live with our play. And uh, we've been rehearsing for a, a while. Yeah, about, about six weeks. weeks. Yeah, maybe even more than that. Yeah. yeah. So, so we hope you you'll come and support us. It's free. Have fun, and yeah. uh, we hope it takes you away from some of the repetitive uncertainty of some of these days, and you just enjoy it. And um, we'll be back hopefully in two or three weeks with another uh, down memory lane, another Debbie and Barbara. Spiffy show, yeah, yeah. And so I think we'll say goodbye for now, right? That sounds okay. good. And it's been very hot. Today was a killer out there in New Jersey on the shore. And uh, everybody keep cool, keep calm, and, and make memories yourself so that when you're our age, which is <laughs> on college, you have a lot of stories to tell people. Right. The whole thing. Make your own memories. Yep. So good night, Barbara. Good night. Good night, Debbie. We will okay. see you later, everybody. Yes. Bye-bye. Right. Good night.